0: This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Welcome to Backstory, the show about books, the craft of writing and the people behind the lines. I'm Mel Cranenberg. Coming up today on Backstory... New Zealand author Annalise Jochems. I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that correctly. Debut thriller Baby has been labelled a millennial take on Patricia Highsmith's the talented Mr Ripley. Jochems' bored, amoral protagonist Cynthia certainly has both the psychopathic disregard for others that warrant comparisons with Mr Ripley. Throw into that a sinister boat trip, an unconsummated desire for an older woman and definitely all the ingredients for a Highsmith-esque thriller emerge but with an added layer of commentary about narcissism in the social media age but does baby really live up to the hype author and cultural critic mel campbell joins me later in the hour to give her take on this new thriller Soon, though, Kate Ridgett's Madness, a book about the author's navigation of the mental health system, as both someone who was medically trained and also a patient, deservedly won awards and critical acclaim. Kate has now released her debut novel fusion is a lyrical folkloric exploration of trauma set in a remote house in the bush and told through the reflections of C and Serena, a pair of co-joined twins. It's a captivating tale and a refreshingly different approach to the novel form. And Kate will join me on backstory very, very soon to discuss the book. So you really must stay tuned for that.
1: You are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne.
0: You're listening to Backstory on 3RRR. I'm Mel Cranenberg. Now, two perfectly formed skulls, two minds, two hearts two or three or four lungs C and serene are co-joined twins living a life of near isolation deep in the australian bush their only company their cousin ran all three of them hiding from a past racked with trauma and abandonment but their life is a peaceful one if filled with some yearning But that is all about to change. When Wren brings home an injured young woman who unleashes memories and heartbreak, the twins and Wren have long suppressed. This is the setting for Fusion, a lyrical, almost folkloric novel, and Kate Richard's first foray into long-form fiction after the success of her incredible book, Madness, a Memoir. Kate joins me now to discuss her latest book, uh, What Inspired It and the Craft Behind It. Kate, welcome to Backstory. Thank you so much for having me, Mel. It's great to be here. Well, I have to say, this book... um, It's something of a wonderful sort of lyrical gift of a book. Um, I'm not alone in suggesting that it has kind of a fairy tale-ish or folkloric elements to it. The characters' names are very sort of, I guess, you know, they give you feelings of being a part of the landscape or being a part of some bigger story that's not their own um and the uh, young girl that they find they dub christ because she is resurrected um so that really does give you this air that it's a, a parabolic parabolic i think is what i'm going for there. tale tell me about where this story came from and maybe set up the story a
1: little bit for listeners Sure. So, uh, C and Serene uh conjoined twins, as you said. So, they have two heads and one body and uh, C has the control motor and sensory function of the left arm and leg and Serene the motor and sensory function of the right arm and leg. And uh, I think... I suppose that's where the the kind of the origin in in a folkloric sense probably started because what I was really interested in um, was trying to find the answers to a few of those great existential life questions that I didn't have the answers to, and they they sort of stemmed from um, an axiom that says inside every person you think you know or that you know is a person you don't know and I've tended to think that this is very true Mm -hmm. um, and that there's always um, a depth to people, a history, um, I suppose almost kind of an an unconscious history too that we never fully uh, understand or I suppose ever see and so based on that I started to wonder whether there could ever be a kind of relationship where everything was known that there were absolutely no secrets between um, two individuals even sort of subconscious secrets and Initially, then, I thought about writing a book about identical twins who lived a very hermit-like, isolated life. Um, And then, because it's fiction, um, (laughs) one can create entire universes. um, And so I thought, well, what can I do um, that might sort of really push that boundary even further? And that's where the idea of of writing about a pair of conjoined twins... um, First emerged, and then from there, I had to kind of work out. So, in the beginning, C and Serene really do think of themselves as one, um, and they're very proud of that, and they're very proud of their connection with one another and their ability to coordinate ev- every little tiny thing that they do, every thought, every feeling in their minds is 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 as one, is fused, if you like. Hence the title. Uh, but I wanted that to actually not, not be the case so mm. that I'm kind of turning um, the, the my first idea, if you like, on its head um, and exploring what it might be like if this perfect relationship, as they see it, is threatened by... Um, by a stranger, and uh, and hence the introduction of Christ, um, who really, I I think she she really, um, in a lot of ways, she's more than just a resurrection. In a sort of um, folkloric sense, um, she really challenges them to to look more closely at who they are, and at the fact that actually. Although they may live in this one body, they're actually incredibly different people
0: yeah it's a really uh, and it's wonderful how you do this um, just to focus on the relationship between the twins for a moment because they really are you know they're our way into this book they are you know obviously the narrators of the book um, and they have this incredible quite uh, you know at first I guess uh, you're sort of wound along in this almost um, you know when we say lyrical it literally feels like singing or like poetry um, like kind of like you know a running sort of stream of, of yeah. consciousness um, that is coming from this sort of eternal we, uh, but then that fractures as the book goes on, and you get the perspectives of each of them separated. Um, and I'm really interested in how that's how that's done, where they get their own internal monologue coming out. Um, so that's a really interesting kind of structural design. I do want to talk about another character in this book, though, Ren, who is um, he sort of seems like the character that, that yearns most to be like everyone else, and one. of the elements of this book, while I guess the twins in a sense inhabit this kind of almost fantastical world where they're speaking in an otherworldly way, they're sort of living almost in a fairy tale, uh, I guess, existence by, you know, you get that from their tone. Mm. Uh, Ren sort of is really attracted to, I guess, the idiomatic, he's attracted to the everyday. Um, I really like how you contrast the the use of sort of like a really quite ochre Australian idiom with this very sort of oblique, lyrical sort of... um, I shouldn't say oblique. It's actually quite, uh, you know, um, revealing um, lyrical prose... um, it's a really interesting sort of, you know, um, entry of the real world, I guess, <laughs> into this otherworldly um, kind of, I, I guess, relationship that you've created. Um, there's also the kind of intrusion of the, the twins' past. But let's talk about Ren and his attraction to,
1: you know, like the world that he's retreated from. Mm. So, yeah, I, I, I think the the basis of the contrast that I was aiming for with Wren compared with the twins is that for the twins their isolation doesn't equate to loneliness um, which as a general rule can be the case but for Wren it's the opposite. I think his isolation leads to um, a desperate kind of loneliness and he's desperate for connection with other people Um, and it's something that he's really bad at. So um, in a way he's kind of In a way, I kind of think of the twins as um, running away from the world to live in this wild landscape. But for Wren, he's really running away from himself. Um, And unfortunately, that old saying about wherever you go, there you are, is is true for him. So he's... um, He's desperately lonely and he's looking for connection and he's looking for love, but he has absolutely no idea about how to go about finding those things. So um, because he's had such a um, a bad strike rate, if you like, uh, earlier in his life, and certainly he's really struggled to, I guess, not only um, find meaningful connection with other people, but also to really um, communicate his own wants and needs to other people. So it's kind of, it's a double whammy in a way. Um, but he's a really ordinary bloke, and... Um, And he's stuck up in the middle of the wilderness with these two very unusual women who are very content with their life. Um, And he's kind of the opposite. And Mm. uh, so he knows what he's looking for, but he just has no idea about how to go about finding it um, or making it happen. Um, And poor thing he tried to to um join the army when he sort of dropped out of school in his sort of mid-teens uh and he failed all of the team building exercises so he really i guess you and I, i'm it, it probably comes back to something i'm really interested in and that is i'm fascinated about how most of us tend to manage kind of, I don't know, a sort of a loving connection with other people without thinking about it too much. But then I was sort of wondering about if you really overthink it and you worry about each tiny detail of being being in a, rela- being in a relationship with another person, what might that be like and how might that um, kind of reflect on, on your ability to to form an emotional bond. And so that's sort of Wren's situation at the beginning of the book. If you've
0: just joined us, you're listening to Backstory on 3RRR. I'm Mel Cranenberg and I'm joined today by Kate Richards, who's discussing her debut novel, Fusion. Uh, There's so much to to talk about in this book, so many underlying themes. Um, A a really obvious one is, of course, taking on new identities. Um, You know, Wren is really Angus, um, a name that he... I guess, has shrugged off because it's one that he associates, I guess, with trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, C and Serene um, have these names that that very much typify who they feel they are. Um, And then Christ is given her name um, and then thereby kind of brought into their world. So this is kind of sense of denial or reinvention that goes on, which I find really interesting. But I do want to focus on something else. Uh, This book's been described quite often as gothic. Mm -hmm. Um, I I want to kind of talk you about how you feel firstly about that label um there's some some conventions obviously we could talk about with what is now an emerging australian gothic sort of discussion um but but also the underpinning to say something like that to an australian gothic which is that underneath it when we're talking about this whole book there's underlying abuse and trauma Mm. but in an australian gothic setting there is of course the theft of the land do you want to discuss this setting and how you think that sort of gothic, I guess, uh, moniker sits on top of your book?
1: It's really interesting. I've been surprised and then I suppose um, curious about where that came from. Uh, it's not something that I had thought of or can sort of i, I wasn 't thinking about that as a theme or as, as a kind of genre really in in writing the book uh, my My sort of sense of Australian Gothic is very different from from this this work and uh, so initially, I was quite shocked when I first saw it in a review, and I thought, Is it really and then I had to go and actually kind of look up what what the definition of of well, Gothic literature, and particularly Australian Gothic is, and what we tend to think of it as a as a genre of writing and I guess there are some elements in fusion that i that I understand, and like you say it 's that there 's that that sense of isolation, that sense of threat, that sense of sort of um, i suppose a vein of suspense um, which is which is all which is all true. Um, and I guess the other one that's certainly there is transgression, which is something I'm fascinated by, um, both in, in reading and in writing. But I think, I think fusion has a, a warmth to it that floats in and out or that sort of... There are fissures, if you like, of, of a kind of warmth and... Um, heart and soul and a kind of almost um a redemption for some of the characters towards the end that that often isn't part of a a traditional australian gothic um work whether that be a film or a play or a, a work of fiction um So, look, it's really interesting. I would say I'm grappling with it. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know the answer as to whether it is or it isn't. Maybe there isn't a a definite answer. Um, In terms of theft of the land, that's something that was always in the back of my mind when I was writing the book because the setting is... um, It's the southeastern Alpine wilderness, sort of south of Mount Kosciuszko down towards the Snowy Mountains and then down towards the Victorian Alps. And it's got such a rich Indigenous history um, and I, I kind of... I couldn't appropriate that, um, and I didn't want to. I didn't want to try. So I I wanted it to be something that kind of that Ren, in particular, is very aware of, but he can't quite. He can't. He's aware of this this sort of sense of, um, I suppose, ancientness Mm. to the land and sacredness to the land. And he tries hard to kind of find a more definite connection, um, but he's not able to. And he recognises that and he kind of feels a sense of grief, uh, I think, around that because those Indigenous voices and the language and the culture um, and the art and the history of that area, most of it was pretty much wiped out, Mm. certainly... um, the language, in particular, of the uh, of the nations that that lived there. I do sometimes think about this because
0: I guess we most associate Gothic with those kind of southern or the like the you know I guess haunted house uh, type approach to to Gothic. I guess, um, and in a way, I sort of you know the haunting of you know of a of what should be there or was there before mm. is really deep into in this book. Yeah. Um I want to focus on something else just briefly because uh we're going to run into, out of time very soon. Um your medical training does yeah. uh, uh really very definitely uh rear its head throughout this book. There was one scene in particular when um the twins are are nursing Christ mm. back to health <laughs> um or the the woman who has yet to be named in this instance. Um her um, wounds become infected um, and they uh, I think use um, slugs to sort of eat the uh, infection which is kind of gross but actually immediately um, put me in mind of the um, Diana um, Gabaldon is that, is that how you say her name D- Diana um, Gabaldon um, books outla- outlander books that have famously now been turned into a television series and um, she does kind of have, because obviously the, you know, these are set in, you know, in mm. the sort of 17th or the 18th century um, at a time when, you know, there isn't kind of real um, medical um anything's available so this is a technique that's also used by the protagonist in that and I just thought that was really interesting because you've sort of set up a setting that you know you as someone who's medically trained obviously want to bring in this um you know these ideas but they're sort of really acting as though they're living in I guess a time that's pre-medicine in a
1: sense. Yeah well they're almost forced to because they because they are living in a in a an environment of self inflicted isolation, if you like. Um, they don't have access to any um, medical assistance, uh, even though it would have been available um, at the. Sort of around the time the book is set, but um, yeah, it, it's a funny thing actually because maggots are actually. Um... Oh, did I say slug? Sorry, yeah, I meant right. maggots. I, know, <laughs> no, I think maybe my brain can actually cope with the horror <laughs> of that. that. <laughs> but they are fantastic. Seriously, they are fantastic at preventing wounds from becoming infected, and they are fantastic at clearing the dead tissue and the dead cells from wounds that have become Infected. I mean it's it's absolutely true and it's certainly one way to to save a life, really, if someone is developing a skin infection or a wound infection. So the twins I guess they rely on what they have available, um, and that's one of the things that they find they do have available. So uh, I thought, well, yes, I'll I'll pop that in, and, <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's a disturbing but
0: also yeah, quite educational yeah. um, element that's added to the book. Mm-hmm. There's a lot in this book. Mm-hmm. I, um, you know, I would like to spend more time with it myself to sort of, uh, you know, really get into the idiom of the book and 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 get more of the these wonderful kind of themes and ideas out of it I highly recommend um, others do the same Kate Richards thank you for coming in and sharing uh, your thoughts on your debut novel with us
1: thanks so much Mel it's been really lovely chatting with you thanks for having me
0: that was Kate Richards uh, who has um, just released a debut novel fusion which is out now uh, through Hamish Hamilton Penguin I highly recommend it as a read, but leave some time so that you can really get under the skin of it. You're listening to Backstory on 3 Triple I'm going to play you a track, um, but stay with us because coming up, we're going to be talking about Annalise Jochem's Baby. It's been called a millennial take on the talented Mr Ripley or even heavenly creatures for a new generation. But beyond the plot similarities, does it live up to the hype? Author and cultural critic Mel Campbell will join me to give her take on the debut thriller. Uh, So first this track, this is Juliet Younger, I Want Out. You're listening to (laughs) 3RRR.
2: Riding through the swamp every day seems the same Got no motivation to get paid when nothing seems to change I got caught up in the game that I don't want to play And the blood in my face just gave it all away I want out, get away, I don't care, rest your case My interest in all human worth must have got misplaced I'd rather be recluse and get used To be strange, won't be gone, won't be long till I get replaced Soaking through these tissues Wanna be more like me But me wanna be a samurai kid. But I lost my soul at three sixteen. Since then I've been trying to keep my bloodstream clean Snub the zans, me anxiety So I can't work out my
3: The alarm! It's time to subscribe. Triple R's April Amnesty is on now. Subscribe by April 30, and you could win one of these prizes: the ultimate art escape to Tassie's North with a double pass to the 2019 Junction Arts Festival in Launceston, includes return flights, accommodation, and a ticket package for two people to festival events. Five 30-minute piano, guitar or singing lessons from Josh Cohen School of Music, an independent Melbourne music school in Malvern and Hawthorne. Dinner and a double pass to any show at the Corner Hotel, just a stone's throw from Richmond train station. A gift voucher for Love Hate Jewellery, a small Melbourne-based design house, making original, easy-to-wear products in small-run collections. Win two-year subscriptions to both Green and Treadley magazine plus a copy of Tredly Musette. To subscribe, call 93881027 or go to rrr.org.au.
4: Find Italy in South Yarra at the Italian Cultural Institute. Enjoy learning one of the most musical languages at a comfortable pace. Standard Italian and culture courses led by qualified Italian native-speaking teachers in a buzzy Italian domain. Courses start Monday, April eight. For more info and to enrol, head to iicmelbourne.esteri.it Istituto Italiano di Cultura, the official cultural office of the Italian government, sponsoring Triple R.
3: Triple R and UMI present the Majesty of Tap. UMI bring the sights, the sounds, and the smells of the greatest rock group of all time, Spinal Tap. Due to popular demand, UMI's The Majesty of Tap returns to the Corner Hotel on Thursday, April 11. Also playing the Carova Lounge in Ballarat Wednesday, April 10. Tickets on sale now. The tribute to end all tributes. UMI's The Majesty of Tap. Sponsoring Triple R.
1: presents Anne Edmonds. What's wrong with you? At the Melbourne Comedy Festival. From award-winning live shows to Get Kraken's fashion expert Helen Badu, Anne Edmonds is the razor-sharp rock star of Australian comedy. But Edo is sick of talking about herself. It's time to talk about everybody else. She'll probably still talk about herself a bit. Anne Edmonds, What's Wrong With You? Live at the Melbourne Comedy Festival, March 28 to April 21. Tickets on sale now from comedyfestival.com.au. Token events, Triple R sponsors.
0: You're listening to 3RRR, the show is Backstory and I'm Mel Cranenberg and uh, now Cynthia is young, bored with her life, obsessed with her older, married fitness coach, Anna Herrera. The pair agreed to run away together so Cynthia cleans out her dad's bank account and they leave town with Cynthia's dog, Snotface. By a boat, disturbingly named Baby, which is moored in an idyllic bay and then things start to unravel. This is the plot of New Zealand wonderkind Annalise Jochems, Jochem's... I have no
4: idea how to say it. (laughs) I was hoping you would uh, lead me into it.
0: Um, That voice that you just hear joining me to talk about uh, this much-hyped debut novel, which is labelled A Millennial Take on the Talented Mr Ripley, is the voice of Mel Campbell, author, journalist, cultural critic, um, and uh, author of a few books, actually, Mel.
4: I'm the author of two books so far, but
0: almost three. Almost three. So, uh, Out of Shape, The Hot Guy, and The Forthcoming Nailed It, which is out in July lie. Mel Campbell uh, was tasked with going away and reading this book, Baby, to, you know, both of us were pretty curious about whether or not it was actually going to be all it uh, purported to be. And Mel, what do you reckon? How how did it fare? Well,
4: I was the one who requested to discuss this <laughs> book with That's you.
0: That's really true. You tasked me with it. What am I even saying? Well, because
4: I read about it and I was really intrigued. I thought, oh, what? Is it going to be some kind of next-generation noir sort of thing? The Talented Mr Ripley... Other. um comparisons that have been made are heavenly creatures I think because it's a New Zealand story and um, I was thinking oh well the M word now that we must mention that the cover of this book is Millennial Pink and it has a picture of a jam sandwich on the front and the cover also reminded me did you ever read that um oh my goodness what is it called the book about the pedophile Tamper by Alyssa oh I Nothing. never read it um that also has a millennial pink cover that uses the uh, imagery of a button and a buttonhole to suggest sex. And similarly, that's the first thing I thought of when I saw the cover of Baby with this really vaginal-looking um, <laughs> jam sandwich on the front cover of the book. So it's, it's kind of a queer... Um, Noir, but the voice of uh, Cynthia is the the thing that immediately stood out for Mm. me and I found it quite hard to
0: read in her voice. So I'm wondering if you had that problem as well. I I have a feeling this is a universal problem. It's incredibly difficult to to sort of I emphasize with Cynthia on any level it's a really sort of childish voice um, she's constantly kind of talking in this you know this one note kind of tone where you know discussing kind of like I, I don't know I guess like just looking stuff up on Facebook and you know just blandly sort of talking about what happened in her day you don't really get any revelations about who she is or why she's she is the way she is which is clearly a nascent psychopath. Um, but I just, yeah, I agree with you. I have to say, though, as we went throughout the book, or as I went throughout the book, um, I did kind of feel like I, you know, I was starting to get lulled into, you know, being moved along with the voice a little bit. Like it's it's when it kind of got in inconsistent when she sort of, you know, maybe suddenly had these moments of seeming to have some kind of, um, I don't know, almost empathy for something that it just didn't ring true.
4: Yeah, you're kind of, as a reader, not sure whether to identify with her, to sympathise with her, um, to see her as the, the villain or as a kind of anti-heroine, um, and it's kind of that tension throughout the book that I found quite interesting. Um, at the start, you just think, what a kind of spoiled, um, narcissistic you know, 21 year old just finished university, has a rich family, so is just lying around going to yoga classes, which is how she meets Anna Hera. Um, and Anna Hera comes across as a much tougher and more world weary figure, someone who's seen a bit of life and wants to escape from it. Whereas it's all kind of a game to Cynthia at first, but then you wonder how much of a game it is for Anna Hera and how much Anna Hera is complicit. with um, what goes on on the boat baby Um, because we're not going to spoil it by saying exactly what happens but they have some visitors to the boat yes
0: yes they do and I think that's actually a really interesting point because the relationship between these these two women seems incredibly unlikely in the first place Mm. it's a the premise is so I'm just like and then they just decide to leave town together there's no real preamble to it there's no real sense of like a building relationship that leads to that also I think I have to say Cynthia lacks the charm of of you know the talented Mr Ripley you don't really have you know that engaging sense that there is a backstory that's led her to be the way she is um I just don't she's not a charming character at all uh she lacks that psychopathic trait which yeah. she could have used a little bit more of
4: what if what if Mel <laughs> Anna Hera is more of the Ripley yes. figure yes Yes, because she is completely opaque in the way that other people always are opaque to us you know we might think we can know someone but we really can't and so I like that sense that Cynthia is absolutely head over heels for Anna Hera, like she lusts after her she wants her as a friend as a mother as a lover in every other way that you can want a person basically she wants her all to herself um, and you can see a sense of how smothering and weird this could be for someone else to be faced with having to live on close Quarters. The space of the boat I found was very claustrophobic mm. as well.
0: And you're right, Anna Herra is kind of, I guess, the you know the person that's sort of um, charming other people into their lives. So, yeah, they're, they're, I hadn't thought about that spin on it. That perhaps Anna Herra is the manipulator behind the scenes.
4: I think it's the ambiguity of it that made the book. It gave it its tension. Um, I'd read some kind of lukewarm reviews of the book before I went in, which made me a bit disappointed because, as you had said I was really gung-ho for reviewing it on the show but I actually find um, having read it I didn't enjoy the experience of reading it all that much but having read it I can appreciate that there's stuff under the surface of this Mm -hmm. quite plain I I don't like to call it a uh, sort of millennial voice but it did remind me of a couple of books that I've recently read Um, Normal People by Sally Rooney which of course A lot of people loved, but I found the the flat prose just really hard to get into.
0: Oh, that's really interesting because I I loved, uh, you know, normal people Mm -hmm. and Sally Rooney's prose actually really spoke to me. And I think the really interesting thing about that is that it does have that flat affect that you sort of get in, you know, in baby. But I think the difference is that you're really, you know, there's more self-awareness to the characters or at least a lack of self-awareness is constantly being exposed in them as they grow and you know as their experiences change Um, it really rang true and there was a a real connecting kind of element to it Uh, whereas here I feel like there's you know this feels like an ideas book in a way that really never cracked the surface there are some you know there's some little kind of elements there that you know they give you this sense of you know Cynthia being the very kind of clear, unreliable narrator that she so obviously is. Like when she sort of talks about, um, you know, spending all this time on Facebook, she's clearly bounced, stolen a bunch of money from her dad uh, and she's looking uh, through her her Facebook, you know, scrolling through Facebook in this almost, you know, casual way that just seems ridiculous under the circumstances, saying that there's all these lovely messages that people have sent. They all say typical lovely things like, where are you? Are you all right? Wherever you are, we miss you so much. Why don't you reply? Please just let me know you're all right, etc. Reading them is dreamy. She's already deleted the one obnoxious one from an auntie which mentioned her father. I just found like little passages like that occasionally, just quite you know really well put together and um, eerie because they give you this sense of a um, of a completely, uh, I guess, compartmentalised you know uh, like wrong-headed character in a way that you don't necessarily get in other passages.
4: Yeah, I mean, I feel like the, the the space of the boat, it's moored in the middle of a bay, that there's a town nearby where they go to get food, but it's almost like they're living in some kind of fantasy. And then checking in on Facebook and then watching reality TV shows, which um, are Cynthia's favourite genre, it, it kind of emphasises that there's this sense of unreality going on that um, while real life might be mediated for her by TV or by social media, things don't necessarily feel real to her. She doesn't really have a strong grip on reality. The other book I was going to say that this reminded me of was The Pisces by Melissa Broder, which I read earlier in the year. And Have you read the the book? I have not. Okay, so it it again has a millennial pink cover. Um, On the front, it has a weird picture of a woman embracing a fish in a sexual way. And the book is about, no joke, it's about a woman who's at the final edges of doing her PhD and she's kind of had a breakup. She moves to her sister's beachside pad and starts up a really intense sexual affair with a merman. And the book goes into great detail about the mechanics of how you have sex and the interrelationship between her and the the merman. But what made me think of it was that um, the the Pisces also mentions a dog uh, that she's got to look after. That's the reason why she's staying with her sister is to take care of her sister's dog and the way that the dog hates the merman. And as I read the book, I felt this feeling of dread. What's going to happen to this poor, innocent, blameless dog? And similarly, I got that same feeling in Baby about this poor dog, Snotface, who is a doofus. He's a French bulldog, the kind of dog that you buy as a status symbol um, and she seems to love him. Cynthia loves him. But on the other hand, she doesn't. And he as well, I think, is a symbol of the fact that she doesn't tend to have real relationships. Everything is all about what another person or another creature, in the case of the dog, can do for her, or how they can make her feel better. And it gave me this sense of unease, this feeling of the the vulnerability of dogs that's what often gets me when I'm reading something about animals is the idea that animals are... Yes, we project all our kind of anthropomorphism onto them, but they're also seen as being this creature that is vulnerable in a way to human depredations and as such they come to symbolise innocence and mm-hmm. uh, and purity. You know, you might say that a, a cute dog's antics are so pure or too pure. Um, I, yeah, that's what really... I felt upset as I was reading about this dog.
0: I think that was definitely the intention as well. And and just to be clear, nothing really graphic happens with the dog in case people are worried about that. Um, If you've just joined us, you're listening to Backstory on 3RRR. I'm talking to culture critic Mel Campbell about Baby, which is a debut novel from New Zealand author Annalise. jochem jochem jochem
4: jochem Jochem. if you know how to say her name please please call 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 (laughs) it
0: that's right absolutely we're kind of you know i i guess where would you say you're sitting on this book for those who are who are interested in maybe picking it up and giving it a read
4: I think that the experience of reading the book and the experience of encountering the prose is not necessarily where the interest lies on this book. It's a book of ideas, as you were saying just earlier. And thinking about what isn't said is perhaps more interesting than thinking about what is said. There's one moment that that really particularly struck me is when they encounter a tent, an abandoned tent on a mysterious deserted island and Cynthia goes to sleep in the tent and then it says that Anna Hera comes and holds her from behind very tightly Um, and then later on there's the suggestion that this was a rape scene but nothing is ever said that's just something that I have intuited from the way that Cynthia later reacts when told something about that same night it's those kinds of moments that for mm. me um the value of this book lies in not necessarily in what this story is on the surface which is quite boring at times did you find it
0: boring i really did and i thought i, I you know in in a way this that could have really worked for it that they, that you know this the character this character that's bored and has this sense of ennui throughout could really have been um a way of building up tension or building up a sense of eeriness but instead it kind of brings you into the boredom like maybe a little too effectively um, but you're right there are moments in this book that tell me that this is a writer who's only going to get better it kind of really does feel like a debut novel of someone who's still finding her feet and this sort of brings me to, to something I sort of want to finish up on how do you feel about you know kind of this over hyping especially of a debut novel of a young writer she's had all of these kind of expectations heaped on her Eleanor Catton, Catton, the the Booker Award winning, you know, fellow Kiwi, um, has just been saying all sorts of great stuff all over the cover. Uh, you know, I think people have been calling her a genius. <laughs> I, I just feel like that's a lot of pressure for a first book.
4: I feel like no one's book is first book is a genius book unless you are some weird outside artist who comes from nowhere and then quickly retreats to nowhere again. Otherwise, writing is a craft and you get better as you do more of it. And of course, one thing that people often forget with first novels is that they don't just represent the time that it took to write that novel, but also all the life experience and the other learning that went into however many years the author has lived before they wrote that novel. That's why the second novel is often so disappointing because comparatively the author has really had to shoehorn a lot of process into a comparatively short amount of time. But the first novel, it gets the time before the commission to actually expand and to to be thought of. But as you're saying, Mel, I, I feel like people get better and over time people can improve their craft like maybe if you're hailing someone as a genius from the start I feel that's disingenuous Mm, because I agree like it's possible that their best work is to come you know when you think about someone like for instance Christos Chalkes um was hailed as as being, you know, an angry young genius. But I feel like his work has got better and more sophisticated as it's gone along. It hasn't stultified. He's um, more thoughtful, I think, and more ambitious as a writer. He tries new things. Um, Similarly, Zadie Smith, you know, everyone thought White Teeth was an absolute, you know, work of genius. But I feel like she's tried new things. She's worked in different genres as she's gone along. To say that on the sum of the first book that they've ever written, Someone's a Genius, feels a bit dubious to me.
0: Absolutely. And I think that's a good note to leave things on. Mel Campbell, thank you so much for joining us uh, to discuss this book on backstory.
4: It's absolutely my pleasure.
0: That was Mel Campbell, journalist, culture critic and author. And stay uh, tuned for her, her book that's coming out, I believe in July, Nailed It. Hopefully we can get Mel back on to talk about that then. That's really pretty much all we've got time for on Backstory. I'd really like to thank my guests, uh, Kate Richards, who came in to talk about her debut novel, Fusion, uh, which is a a strange lyrical journey uh, into the lives of co-joined twins who are isolated in the Australian bush, one that you should definitely look up. Uh, And our recent discussion with Mel Campbell about Baby by Annalise Jochems, or Jochems, someone is going to have to work out how to pronounce that name, Um, a book that, you know, maybe doesn't Necessarily live up to the hype, but definitely says that this is an author to keep an eye out for in future. Three, triple R. You've been listening to Backstory, the show about books, the craft of writing, and the people behind the lines. I'm Mel Cranenberg, and if you like what you've heard, you can listen to the live version of the show Wednesdays at twelve on Triple R. Join the stream on the Triple R website or subscribe to this podcast in your favourite podcatcher. Thanks for listening. Join me again soon. This has been a podcast from 3RRR
1: 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.